Welcome. Bienvenidos. I'm Danny Torres, and thanks for joining me on the Talking 21 podcast, the official podcast dedicated to the extraordinary life and legacy of the legendary 21, Roberto Clemente Walker. It's episode two. Our next guest was a former left-handed pitcher who played, ready for this, 25 years in the big leagues, logged in over 4,000 innings, won 269 games, appeared in the 2003 All-Star Game, and he's even a 2008 World Series champion. He was also inducted into the Seattle Mariners Hall of Fame in 2015. And here's a fact. At the ripe young age of 49 and 151 days, he became the oldest pitcher in Major League Baseball history to earn a win, the oldest starter ever to accomplish this unbelievable feat. By coincidence, this phenomenal man who I met at City Field about five years ago in the media lounge checks every box on why he was the recipient of the 2003 Roberto Clemente Award. He's a family man, a proud father of eight children, and always, always willing to give a helping hand. But it's a well-deserved honor for a special human being who I can proudly call a dear friend. Well, Jamie Moyer, welcome to the Talking 21 podcast. How are you, my friend? I'm doing very well, Danny. I hope uh, this day finds you well. And uh, I love, I love your, uh, your background uh, where you are at, I'm assuming in your home office. That's correct. Yeah. I like that. You want to call it a home office, Jamie? That's absolutely, it's, it's, uh, it's actually, uh, the collection grace is my, uh, my living room. And, um, I'm just, uh, happy to have you on board with us for talking 21. Uh, you know, Jamie, uh, what can you tell your listeners about your hometown, Salisville, Pennsylvania? Well, Danny, uh, Sellersville, Souter, the Sellersville, Souterton area, um, you know, it's, it's a small town, uh, what we used to call a bedroom community. Everybody kind of knew each other. Um, everybody went to everybody else's sporting events. Uh, it was just, uh, you know, a, a small, simple southeastern Pennsylvania hometown. The biggest thing is everybody supported everyone else. Um, and, you know, it's a suburb of Philadelphia. And, uh, you know, when I was a kid, a lot of farms, farm, we're kind of out in farm country. And uh, every now and then you'd see a horse and bucky driving down the side of the road. So, I mean, it, it kind of, hopefully that kind of gives you an idea of what uh, the area where, where I grew up. Someone introduced baseball to Jamie Moyer. So describe your upbringing and who did introduce Jamie Moyer to the great game of baseball? Yeah, that's a great question. So, again, living in a small community, my dad was uh, still into athletics, you know, when I was born and, and in my early childhood. And uh, he played a lot of uh, pickup basketball on Wednesdays and Saturdays with a group of guys. And a lot of that same group of guys played fast pitch softball. And my dad played on, on a church league team. And he also played on an industrial league team. So I grew up before my little league years. Uh, with a little uh, baseball uniform that had our church's name on the front of it. And uh, I was the bat boy, right? So for me, you know, running out and picking up these big heavy bats and dragging them back to the, uh, the little makeshift dugout, 
their pregame, you know, involved batting practice and ground balls, just kind of like what you would see in a major league field, but it was softball and they played a lot of pepper. So once I could, once I could start to play some catch and throw the ball decently, they allowed me to start playing pepper games. Okay. And that was a lot of fun for me, you know, just kind of being involved. You know, I was a, a, you know, just a little shaver, you know, five, six, seven, eight years old. And uh, being allowed to, to be involved with that made me feel like, you know, I was a big boy. Right. And so growing up with that, and then a lot of on weekends, a lot of uh, fast pitch softball tournaments, uh, fast pitch was really big in the area that I grew up in. And uh, my dad would travel as far as like up to Allentown, Pennsylvania, and down sometimes closer to Philadelphia and playing softball tournaments all weekend where they would play three games a day, you know, Saturday, Sunday, and usually it went into a Monday. So a lot of, a lot of softball was played. And then, you know, and when I became eight years old, I was able to play, you know, start to play little league. We didn't have, there was none such thing as T-ball um, when I was eight years old, you just jumped into little league. And then my dad started coaching me and, uh, he coached me from eight through 18. So that took me through American Legion baseball. So, you know, my, my, Younger years of baseball, again, was very uh, community-oriented. We didn't really go outside of the community to play other than um, in Little League, if you made the all-star team, uh, you would maybe travel to one town and play, or they would come. In our town, we had uh, about a half a dozen fields, but one field in our community had lights. So in Little League, you were guaranteed one game under the lights, the all-star game was played under the lights, and the championship game was played under the lights. So that was the big thing uh, for us with, with Little League Baseball. And like I said, you know, when I, when I got through American Legion Baseball, uh, went on to college, went on to St. Joe's University, and, you know, played there three years, and got drafted by the Cubs in the sixth round in 1984. Well, it's... Uh... Interesting journey. So talk about that 84 draft. Where were you when you received the ultimate call? Well, I, I had uh, pre the, the previous summers, I had been fortunate enough to play in, in a league called the Atlantic Collegiate Baseball League. I played for the Allentown Wings, which that team no longer exists. After my junior year before the draft, I went to the uh, Shenandoah Valley League and played uh, for the Harrisonburg Turks. And I was only there for about a week to 10 days until the draft. But that's where I actually was when I got that phone call from Billy Blitzer sharing that the Cubs had drafted me in the sixth round. He was going to be willing to meet with my parents and myself. And I needed to somehow find a, a way back home. And I got back home and, uh, you know, Billy walked in the door at my parents' house. And, he, you know, you know Billy, who always, you know, really low-key kind of humble guy. Um, but very good with what he did. And you know, again, I don't know if people know that uh, Billy Blitzer signed uh, Sean Dunstan out of the Bronx. Familiar Burrow, right, Jamie? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> should have said Boogie Down Bronx, though. You should well, have said Boogie sorry, Down. I was, I was going to get to the Boogie Down Bronx in, in a moment, but you beat me. So, um, yeah. So, uh, you know, we sat down and Billy, you know, shared about the, the Chicago Cubs organization, what baseball, what he, you know, kind of knew uh, minor league baseball was about. We then, you know, there were, no, there were no agents or I didn't know what an agent was back then. Uh, we more or less, we'll call it a, a negotiation. And uh, shortly thereafter, I signed. And a couple of days later, I was on an airplane out to a mini spring training out in Mesa, Arizona. 
And uh, from from that point, I was I'm going to say we were there for about a week or ten days, and I was designated then to uh, Geneva, New York, for my for, my first uh, short season uh, team, and uh, the, obviously the New York Penn League, and played out of Geneva. And uh, what a what a wonderful uh, first year experience that was for me to to play in the Northeast. Um, it was a, a commuter league. They considered it a commuter league. We didn't have too many overnight trips, uh, a lot of bus trips, short bus trips. And uh, it was it was actually a great way to uh, cut my teeth in professional baseball. Throughout your 25-year career, there were a number of other teams that you played for, but you had to have had some memorable moments with the Seattle Mariners. Yeah, you know, playing with in Seattle, you know, first of all, my opportunity, you know, to get there, I was in with the Boston Red Sox and at the trading deadline, and uh, I believe it was 1996, um, <clears throat> you know, there was a lot of rumors that I was going to get traded, and I heard uh, the trade was probably going to be back to the Texas Rangers, and then at the deadline, I got traded to the Seattle Mariners. And, you know, in, in Boston, you know, I, I felt like I could contribute more. I was prepared to contribute more, but they, you know, they didn't see it that way. So I was preparing myself to continue to be a starting pitcher, even though I was in the bullpen mostly in Boston. And, uh, you know, upon getting traded to the Mariners, uh, I walked in the door and Lou Pinello was a manager and he said, you ready to pitch? And I said, yes, I am. And, uh, you know, they handed me the ball a couple of days later. And for me, the way I look at it, the rest is history. Um, you know, it, it kind of uh, began, if you will, the second half of my career. And, uh, you know, obviously we started in, in 1996. The Mariners were still in the kingdom, uh, a place that I really enjoyed playing. A lot of people hated the kingdom. I enjoyed the kingdom. I had a fair amount of success there. Uh, but to go to a team with the likes of... Uh, you know, Dan Wilson, Ken Griffey Jr., Alex Rodriguez, Joey Cora, uh, Russ Davis played third base, uh, Jay Buhner's in right field, Edgar Martinez. Um, was it, you know, I, I didn't know, but was a pretty special team as time went on. And then obviously having the opportunity to make the first start in what was then Safeco Field, now it's T-Mobile Park. Uh, in Seattle. That was a, a, a memorable time for me. Um, and then obviously 2001, you know, we had a magical season winning 116 games. Uh, unfortunately, not getting very deep into the playoffs, getting beat by the Yankees. Um, but yeah, you know, and, and it's just not the, for me, it's just those memories aren't just the games itself it's it's the relationships that are created the players you meet the players you play against but in you know in seattle i you know i again playing uh you know with the ken griffey jr was you know a, a pretty phenomenal feat ichiro comes on the scene you know edgar martinez you know mr steady eddie you know throughout his whole se career you know and now in in uh, major league baseball hall of fame in cooperstown um, you know, you know, playing with Alex Rodriguez as a young player, you know, you see him uh, very talented, but very green. Right. And, you know, Alex obviously went on to play with the Rangers and the Yankees, you know, it, it, you know, Joey Cora, you know, was just a, a great teammate to have, um, you know, 
it, it that to me is is even almost as, as important as the baseball experience, but probably more important. You know, it's that camaraderie you have, um, playing with guys, playing with guys that are playing well, playing with guys that are struggling. But it's a team game, and you got to figure out how to make all this work as a team. You know, I, yeah, and there are times when players can carry a team. You know, uh, a Randy Johnson, you know, is, you know, on a hot streak, and, you know, he just goes out and dominates. Or Ken Griffey Jr. Uh, is swinging the bat well. Or Edgar, you know, you know, being the consistent guy he was, Mr., you know, at one time he was labeled Mr. Double. Um, cause you know, the guy could roll out a double rolling out of bed. So, um, you know, to me, it's, it's watching that, witnessing that being a part of that joy, that part of excitement, that, that same common goal to win baseball games, because that's really what you're there for. The ultimate goal in my mind and my perspective was, and still is, even if I was still playing, your goal is to get to the world series and win the world series. Now, for many players, that doesn't happen in a career. And for some, the very fortunate ones, um, get to a World Series several times and win many World Series. You know, And there's a, a select few that that has happened to or with um, or for. And there's many that uh, never even get to a playoff environment. So, you know, having the long career that I had, I was very fortunate to get to, to have some of those experiences in Seattle. Um, but unfortunately we never got to what I'll call the promised land was a world series, but many, many, many great memories in Seattle. You know, Jamie, uh, you really summed up your career there in, uh, Seattle, but I also want us to show a little love to those other teams. If maybe we could just throw a little tidbit, starting with the Cubs, your major league debut, what do you take away as a memorable moment? And we can go down the lines to the Rangers, the Cardinals, the Orioles, Red Sox, Phillies, and of course, Colorado. So if you could just briefly, because certainly our talking 21 listeners might want to say, say, you know, hey, you got Jamie Mori. I'd like to hear something about those other sure. teams. Yep. Yep. Well, the Cubs was, you know, again, I, I was not on the 40 man roster when I got called up. So I had to be put on the 40 man roster. Wasn't expecting to get called up, got called up from Des Moines, Iowa uh, with Dave Martinez. Now the manager of the Washington nationals, we got called up together and, you know, so I had never been to a major league spring training when I got called up. So I really didn't know my new teammates in Chicago, but uh, you know, guys like Rick Sutcliffe, Scott Sanderson really kind of took me under their wing, uh, played with Manny Trio, lovely player, lovely teammate, really enjoyed playing. I'm, I'm now aging myself, but I don't mind doing that. Um, but Manny Trio was a fun, fun guy and a guy that really understood the game. Leon Durham, Ryan Sandberg, Sean Dunstan, Ron Say, Davey Lopes. I mean, those are the, some of the guys that I kind of cut my teeth with in the sure. major leagues. And, you know, I really saw how the game was played and how they were the, – the, the game then was really played in a different manner, a very hard-nosed type of, of play of baseball. The fan base in Chicago, as we all know, is very loyal. Uh, Harry Carey was still there. Steve Stone was a broadcaster. So, I mean, there was some, you know, a lot of pizzazz around that. Uh, but, you know, the, the two plus years I played in Chicago, great, great memories of baseball. Then it got traded with Rafael Palmero and Drew Hall to the Texas Rangers for Mitch Williams and a slew of guys. 
And, uh, you know, go to the Texas Rangers. Didn't know much about the American League. Didn't know much about the Texas Rangers. I was still a young, green pitcher. Um, one of my all-time favorite teammates uh, happened to get signed as a free agent there, but a guy by the name of Nolan Ryan. Um, <laughs> you know, great experience, um, you know, playing with Nolan and the Texas Rangers. Uh, you know, a lot of young prospects, Bobby Witt, Jeff Conkle, Pete Incavilia, uh, Cecil Espy, Gary Pettis, uh, Toby Hara was a coach. Davey Lopes ended up retiring and coming over there as a coach. One guy I forgot to mention with the Cubs was Andre Dawson. I don't know if you remember playing or Andre Dawson wanting to get out of Montreal so bad and signing a blank contract. Yes, that I was aware of. I was aware and of that. Going yes. out and becoming the MVP. I believe in the 88 season. What a phenomenal year to watch that man go out and play and his professionalism, how he treated his teammates, the things he did, um, just taught me so much about the game. So I'm going to share my three most favorite players, Andre Dawson, Nolan Ryan, and Cal Ripken. And I think what they speak, what they did on the field speaks for itself. But what these gentlemen were off the field and how they treated me really kind of helped mold me into the player I became and the person I am today. Sure. No, that's that. No, that's absolutely. I'm, I'm glad that you kind of, uh, you know, included those three players because certainly besides being in Hall of Famers, they were, they mentored you. They were there to basically help you grow. A lot of that mentoring came by my eyes watching, watching how they prepared themselves, watching how they went about their business. And watching them on the days that not only it's easy to be a, a, a good teammate on days when you're doing well, but watching them when they're not doing well and seeing how they never change their personalities, their character never changed. And that's something I really got to learn and understand playing with these three men uh, about character. It's, ama it's amazing. It's amazing, Jamie. A lot of the, players that you interacted with look where they are right now they have a bronze plaque in the hall of fame and and it's and it's it's amazing jamie when you think about it here it is what you had explained earlier with your mariners experiences your 10 plus years but then you go back home literally and you i mean let's be honest jamie would you even thought at that point in your career that you're gonna listen be part of a team where you're going to be raising a World Series trophy with the Philadelphia Phillies. And, you know, I mean, that's, that's, that's mind-boggling when you really think about all the uh, ups and downs of uh, your career, that they were already, they were already thinking for, for to be being a coach, you right, know? <laughs> right, and I, and I couldn't have scripted that any better at that part of my career. You know, I actually, you know, a little tidbit here, uh, right before I got traded, I was talking to my wife and said, you know what? I'm going to retire at the end of the season. This is just, this is miserable. Not winning baseball, people not caring, blah, 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 blah. And then, you know, a week later I got traded to the Phillies and, you know, it, it again, it rejuvenated me, a youthful clubhouse, a hungry clubhouse. And then in 08, you know, we win a world series. 09, we go to the world series and get beat by the Yankees. So, I mean, pretty incredible. And then in 10, you know, things started falling apart. You know, I had uh, uh, an elbow problem. I ended up blowing out my elbow, having a, a Tommy John. 
and I missed the 11 season and came back in 12 with the Rockies. And it was more or less just proving that I was could pitch. And uh, I didn't pitch well, and we were not a good team. And by the end of May, I got released, and then I kicked around. I pitched three games for Norfolk um, in uh, uh, with the AAA affiliate with the Orioles, and I got released. And then I pitched three games for the 51s. The Vegas 51s was a AAA affiliate for Toronto at the time. And uh, at that point, at the all minor league all-star break, I decided it was time to uh, go home, uh, hang up my cleats, and move on in life. But, uh, you know, for me, the way I left the game of baseball was I don't think I could have portrayed it any better or, you know, written it out any better. I left the game of baseball going through the minor leagues the same way I came into the game of baseball through the minor leagues. And, you know, those, those six starts that I had in AAA um, really allowed me to reflect on my career and my life and my baseball experiences. But it really, um, you know, I really enjoyed those six starts in AAA because I was watching kids who were hungry and trying to get to the big leagues, a place that I had just spent almost 25, my last 25 years. And uh, it brought back so many great memories uh, of my career. And you were selected to receive the Roberto Clemente Award. Talk about what sticks out about that moment when you received the different type of call that you were being honored yeah. for everything you've done off the field. Got in, I got involved with philanthropy and charity work and, and a lot of organizations that I played in. And I really saw, you know, there was a value there. It was, you, you were giving, you know, all, obviously a lot of the organizations I play in always are asking, you know, to give something back to the community. And uh, I saw value in that. And, you know, never did I expect to be a nominee, number one, of the Roberto Clemente Award. Uh, and number two, never did I expect to receive that award. Um, because, again, what I thought you know, what I was doing in the community was the right thing to do. And I, I felt like I was doing it for the right reasons. And I wasn't doing it for the notoriety or anything like that. And, uh, you know. But when you're out there, when you are giving back, you know, you see that you can make a difference in somebody's life by just bringing a smile to, to, to somebody that's in a hardship situation um, or in a less fortunate situation. So, you know, that had a lot of value for me and, and it kind of, you know, became who I was as, as a player. And uh, again, you know, I knew I was a nominee, uh, as I mentioned, but uh, never really thought that that would come full circle and it did. And, you know, I was really taken back, uh, started to learn a, a lot more about Roberto Clemente and continue to learn, especially through you um, and your experiences and, and, and being uh, a person that has, is, that's really helping to keep this legacy alive uh, and major league baseball, um, you know, is, is really important. And I commend you for doing that, Danny. Um, you know, I, it's, it's very honorable uh, for you uh, uh, to do that. And, you know, to me, to be a part of that, uh, uh, you know, a, a small part of that uh, was a huge honor. And then 
obviously to meet his family uh, at the at the award presentation. You know, that, that particular year that uh, I received that award in Miami and uh, during the World Series and to meet his family, his wife, his sons, um, you know, and just to you, you almost felt like you were meeting Roberto uh, uh, in a way and you saw their their passion. Uh, for who he was and, and for what he stood for. And, and I see it in you. And, I see, and I, I've also seen it in a lot of Latin players that I've played with throughout my career. I see Edgar Martinez, I'm going to share, um, you know, was uh, a, a, a guy, uh, a Joey Cora. Uh, again, guys that were, you know, that would talk about Roberto um, and respect and honor him. Um, you know, it's just phenomenal. And I think, you know, Major League Baseball is doing the right thing. You're doing the right thing, educating people. Um, and, you know, I mean, just this year, you know, Roberto Clemente Day was just not too long ago. And how cool was it to watch the Pittsburgh Pirates, everybody in uniform, have his number on their back to honor him? I mean, what a, a, a special way to do it. Um, you know, and I, you know, somewhere here, maybe in the near future, we'll see it on everybody's back on that special day, uh, not just the Pirates. Maybe we'll see it on all 30 major league teams' backs. Uh, again, what a great way to honor uh, a great human being. Anything in particular, Jamie, that would you say sticks out in your mind? You knew you were going to receive the award, but that maybe even Jamie said, you know what? Let me read up a little bit more about this guy. You know, there's something that that maybe you heard or read, a story that was shared, something specifically about Roberto. You said, wow, this guy really was special. One of the things that strikes me is that he was helping uh, another, a, a, a country, a country that he necessarily didn't live in. And, you know, the, and it was the country of Nicaragua. And, you know, that had gone through a, a great tragedy. And, you know, Talk about a humanitarian, somebody who was willing to help anybody. And that's really what we're talking about here. This is somebody that, that went above and what we would think, you know, he, he didn't have to go to Nicaragua, but he went above and beyond because he saw people in need. It didn't matter uh, uh, what country it was, obviously. It didn't matter uh, uh, the language they spoke. It didn't matter a skin color. It, nothing mattered. He just saw a need. And he thought, well, here's how I can help. And this is what I'm going to do. And he did it. You know, so, and I think, you know, it, it's talked about that he went to Nicaragua. But, you know, actually, but it's really not talked about, you know, you know this is some, a, a, a country that, you know, really didn't have an effect in his life. You know, maybe he played some baseball there at some point in time. But it was, it's more of the human the way I see it, it's more of the human aspect of he went to another country where he probably, if he knew people, it wasn't many. And the people that he was helping were all complete strangers. So it really didn't matter. Right. And, and I think that is it's just such a noble um, way of helping. There, were, there, there wasn't like he was asking questions. Who am I helping? You know, when, you know, it, it didn't matter. He was just helping. Right. And I, and I think that's a part that maybe missed or not talked about enough. 
I mean, it really, it, it really showed you the person he was. It was, you know, baseball wasn't the most important thing in his not, life. Not at all. Not at all. Right? Not at all. And, and it really puts the game in perspective, I think. And I, to me, that's what really hit home. And even sitting here talking about it today, you know, I, I go back and recollect hearing that story and you go, no, really? You know, he didn't have to do that. But he chose to do that, right? On, and then on, New, think, on New Year's Eve. Yes. On New Year's right. Eve. But then you think, you know, the impact that that had. How many years ago was that? 1972 when he perished. 48 years ago. And look and think about that impact that it's still having. Pretty special. Absolutely. Pretty special. Jamie, if you were someone who had access to the current commissioner of Major League Baseball, we were, they were actually discussing the retirement of that number alongside Jackie Robinson. Is there something specifically that you would like to, as the recipient of the Roberto Clemente Award, to why Roberto Clemente Walker's number should be retired? Well, I, I, I think the whys, I think it's very easy because, you know, we, we stress giving back. We stress helping others, right, those in need. Uh, Major League Baseball does a good job of that. But I think we, if we look at ourselves individually and if we look at, you know, look at Major League Baseball, and, and again, I'm not trying to turn it into an issue, but we could always do something more. How, and then how can we do more? Well, let's, let's bring this story, okay, more to the forefront, right? There's an award. Awesome reward. Somebody gets recognized every year. Outstanding, right? But what more can we bring to the table? How can we create more awareness, right? To me, that would be my question. How do we create more awareness? How do we create it individually in each organization? And not only at the major league level, but at the minor league level, right? Maybe there could be an award for somebody at the minor league level, too. Never, right? never thought of that. Never thought of that. Right? Why not? Right. But then how about something nationally? Maybe there's an award that's given nationally by the president of the United States. How about if there's an award in Puerto Rico for somebody who has gone above and beyond or somebody that represents what Roberto Clemente was about? Throughout, that, throughout Latin America. Yeah, throughout Latin America, there, there you go. Or you could do it in each Latin American country, right? I mean, to me, that grows this and brings more awareness, brings more knowledge, more education. Um, and, and maybe it helps our society as a whole. And certainly our society needs just that. 49 and 151 days when you did something historic, right? 49 years, 151. Could you kind of just at least share for our listeners what that moment was when you're on the pitcher's mound knowing there's a possibility you're going to win a ball game at the age of 49 years of age? I, I honestly, Danny, at the time, I didn't know it was a record or it was going to be a record. Um, you know, I didn't play to, to, to make records or break records. I played because I had, I enjoyed the game and I had passion for the game. You know, to me, the challenge was to go out and compete. It doesn't matter what age you are. When you're eight years old, 15 years old, 22 years old, 35 years old, 
49 years old. To me, it was all about the competition, being prepared, trying to be on top of my game. So having this opportunity, uh, a blessed opportunity to be back in the game at the age of 49 after a Tommy John surgery and able to pitch, um, you know, I felt this was a huge blessing. But the opportunity also to, to go out and compete was really what it was all about for me. And, you know, after winning, I only I won two games with the Rockies. Um, but realizing that, you know, I was 49 years, 151 days, as you mentioned, uh, you know, the age and the record, um, it's pretty cool. Looking back on it now, it's, it's pretty cool. Um, but as I said, you know, being able to, to compete against, you know, I was 49 years old competing against 22 to 25 to 30 year old men. You know, that was, to me, that was the challenge, right? You know, Jamie, you mentioned how important the minor leagues have been literally throughout your 25 years. Eventually, every player starts in the minor leagues. But uh, this year, before COVID hit, um, there were already the discussion about teams, minor league teams being contracted, um, a word being used. We want to streamline the minor leagues. I'd like to know your thoughts, Jamie, on that, because certainly – the significance of the minor league uh, system is so, so important to the player. It was important for you. So please, Jamie, hearing that news, I'm sure you're not happy, but I'd like to just hear your thoughts. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, you know, and, and you know, it's, it's very, you know, initial, my initial response is, you know, it's unfortunate that they're going to, you know, shrink this in some fashion. Um, you know, I think, the, as you said, Danny, you know, the minor leagues are very integral to, uh, you know, players getting to the major leagues. And you think about the, the, the current where we're in the past, where, you know, rookie ball, short season A ball, A ball, double A, triple A, you know, these are all stepping stones. And these are all places where young baseball players are, are, are gaining their experiences and gaining their knowledge about this great game of baseball. And those of us who have had those experiences will, you know, will all probably reflect and say, you know, without those experiences in the minor leagues, we wouldn't have been the major league player we became. And, you know, if, if things are going to get cut down, obviously that's going to cut down on jobs availability for, for players, which, you know, is very unfortunate. You know, I, I, you know, to my knowledge, I thought major league baseball was trying to expand around the world. Um, but then on the other side, it looks like we're going to be cutting out minor league teams. So I'm not sure how that's going to look or how that's going to work. Um, but you think about all these college baseball programs that are out there and not only division one, it's division two, II, division three, it's NAIA, it's junior college, it's community college. There's, there's a, there's a lot of, uh, kids out there that have this dream to become a major league baseball player. And I, I just think it just kind of makes it a little narrower and a little more difficult to, to follow these steps. And, you know, the game is changing right before our eyes. And, uh, and you know, and I don't want to be the guy that has his, uh, you know, his blinders on and doesn't see, um, you know, the whys and the hows to why they're making these decisions. It would be really interesting to understand and learn, you know, what their rationale is behind this. Um, 
But for right now, you know, nothing has been etched in stone to how they're going to do it. And I think as we saw this season, everything's kind of trial and error. I think that's probably what's going to happen. But I think by uh, minimizing minor league teams, it's going to uh, change the whole scenery of, of Major League Baseball in an unfortunate way. You know, uh, Jamie, uh, first I'll have to just say thank you so very much because you just said something right now. You were on top of your game every time you were on the field. But my friend, you've been on top of your game with everything you've done off that field. And I can't thank you enough for being a part of the Talking 21 podcast. Well, thank you, Danny, for allowing me to be on. Uh, I wish you nothing but success with Talking 21 and all of your future ventures with uh, Roberto Clemente, your writing, your school teaching um, in the Boogie Down Bronx. That's right. Um, you know what? It's, our friendship has been very special. And uh, I always enjoy uh, spending time with you, whether it's uh, texting, whether it's on a phone call, and occasionally we get together for a meal. So, Jamie, thank you so very much. All right. Thank you for having me on, Danny. All right, my friend. Thank you very much, Jamie Moyer, the 2003 Roberto Clemente Award winner, for joining us on the Talking 21 podcast. This was truly a fun conversation. Please be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Talking 21 Podcast for all the latest information about our episode drops. And if you are truly enjoying the show, please be sure to subscribe and rate us on Apple and Spotify and wherever you get your podcasts. A special, special thank you to our executive producer, Ross Guevara, and our producer, Jerry. Tune in next time for our continued conversation on the great one, Roberto Clemente Walker. As always, this is your host, Danny Torres, and you can also follow me on Twitter at DannyT21. Until next time, have a great one.